Now back to the Tribune's Rick Pearson. It's the Sunday Spin on 720 WGN. Good Sunday evening. I'm Rick Pearson, the Chicago Tribune, and welcome to the second hour of your Sunday Spin. We're going to uh, spend the uh, rest of the time in the program uh, with a roundtable, as I like to do before Election Day, and go over some of the the races that are up at stake and kind of get the the temperature of uh, some of my good friends as well as uh, some very good uh, political experts and handicappers. So joining me on the phone is my former Tribune colleague, Bob Sector, who is now an editor at Crane's Forum, and Brian Bernadoni, managing partner and founder of Aurelius Public Affairs. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Nice to uh, be here far away from you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Nice to practice social distancing with you. I've been trying it for years, and... Trust me. Sometimes it's cast upon us. Good evening. Uh, uh, trust me, Mr. Sector, as having been my editor, I know exactly how to practice social distancing. From you. <laughs> um, well, you know, let's 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 kind of just start there. Um, since we are in these uncharted waters, um, I, I think people should go vote, and I think steps are you know being taken to to make it as safe as possible. But I just have a feeling that turnout actually on Tuesday itself is, is going to be low. Well, yeah, we're, we're in uncharted territory here. And, uh, I mean, apparently the absentee ballots are way up. Um, but uh, you've got a whole bunch of people who are basically staying home, so they probably could could go in, but are they going to go in? And we don't really know how that's going to affect some of these uh, major races. Um, uh, generally, low turnout helps the incumbent, but we we don't really know that. Well, there's another factor in there, too, that uh, there's been such shifting in actual polling places that voter confusion could be up as well. So it's going to really be dependent on the county's ability to identify and, and mark where those polling places are. Typically, Schools and fire stations are used. Fire stations, for all practical pers- per- uh, purposes, are are dorms, and we really can't have the, uh, the the virus walking through there. And and we all know what's going on with schools as well. So I think there's going to be challenges for voters. And I, I I'm with Bob on this. I think this is a, a direct blow to turnout. Well, and I think too is when you look at the, the demographics of, of who voters are. Uh, they're the they're the older people, and you know that's that's your kind of always dependable uh, older voter that is always going to go out to the polls. And you know, all of a sudden now, they're, the the warnings are clear. If you if you're in a vulnerable population, you know you don't want to get into crowds. Again, I'm I'm not sure that you know it's going to be all of that crowded because we do have the record vote by mail we do have you know so much early voting going on um that i'm not i'm not sure that the crowd factor is necessarily something to worry people yeah you know what's what's interesting though and and again we don't know how this is going to play out but but um the the people who might be more inclined or less less fearful of going out are young people who don't you know who aren't is in much danger, and um, and and who 
might be more likely on the presidential race to to back up Bernie Sanders. Um, so is this going to help Bernie Sanders? You know, we don't know. Um, it's been interesting to not see as much political um, paraphernalia out in the streets as, as uh, longtime Sunday Spin listeners know. I like driving the communities before elections just to get the the pulse and the vibe and the and the voter. Uh, the signage and all the propaganda that you would typically see just visibly on the street is markedly down from the, uh, for this election than it has been in previous. Um, is that an indicator or something? Uh, it's hard to tell right now. This is, this is, uh, you talk about uncertain times. Uh, this is an uncertain election, I think, when it comes to that question. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously you don't have the door-to-door canvassing because who's, who's going to open the door? Um <laughs> And uh, I, I'm not. I'm not sure you necessarily want to take a palm card going in. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to touch a poll worker. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean. I mean. But think. But think about the old Chicago adage, though. You, that you would go through the gauntlet of right. fifteen. You know, in, in active precincts, active wards, fifteen different people soliciting and handing out palm cards to you. You just. I mean. You just want these people as far away from you as humanly possible. So. It's going to be interesting what canvassing looks like from a practical standpoint and what get out the vote looks like. If vote numbers look really down, what are the organizations going to do to chime up vote, especially if you've got tight races and there's a number of districts that have that? Well, and it's, you know, one other thing that that struck me is that when you do go to the polls on Election Day, you look at who the election judges are, and they tend to be older people. Sure. And I don't, you know, they, they've probably already signed up, but are they going to show up? Well, and uh, there are, uh, the city says it has people in reserve that uh, mm-hmm. they've been working with uh, Mayor Lightfoot and that people are going through uh, actually uh, online training and watching videos to be prepared to show up as kind of almost like a task force team if some of these precincts have some problems there. So, but I agree, there's the the issue of the traditional voter. There's also the issue of what we know as the traditional election machinery that makes it run. Uh, the, 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 the poll watchers, the election judges, and uh, the fact of, you know, as Brian said, of, of moving these polling places, particularly out of places with an elderly population like nursing homes, as well as people, uh, private property owners as well. Perhaps the only good news is, is that since school is canceled, there was concerns about having people trekking through a school to vote. Uh, those are those are basically voided. We're going to speak more. We're gonna, oh, go ahead, Rick. We're going to speak more with Bob Sector, editor at Cranes Forum, and Brian Bernadoni from Aurelius Public Affairs. I'm Rick Pearson. This is the Sunday Spin. Now, the Sunday Spin continues on 720 WGN. Here's Rick Pearson. Welcome back to your Sunday Spin, our special roundtable as we look ahead to uh, Tuesday, Election Day. And uh, joining me on the phone is Brian Bernadoni, managing partner and founder of Aurelius Public Affairs, and Bob Sector, editor at Crane's Forum. And I'm sorry, uh, Brian, I believe uh, before we went to break, you, you wanted to add something. Well, I'm just thinking of the chaos, and you know, we've had so many problems with Cook Count with 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 elections, period, across the country. But the idea of untrained election judges really does add a little bit of concern to the overall 
overall system. Um, Bob had mentioned, I mean, I know my election judges. I've known them for years. And um, the idea or the concept that voter confusion could come as a result of this and problems with reporting could come out of this is, is something I think we should at least be aware of uh, at the bare minimum. And hopefully it's just delays. Um, in, in vote totals, but delays in getting the polls open could also result from that. And uh, it, it's just something I think we all need to be mindful of. And, and, and one thing, I, I, I think just speaking for the, pol- the political types that are out there, I'm thankful people are going to want to come out and vote. Just be patient with the people that are working over there on a day like this with new judges. I think that could be a potential challenge. Uh, I, I agree. Um, and yeah, patience would be a, a, a key word here. And and hopefully everything will be manageable. Uh, they are at, for polling locations that are being moved. They're posting signs at the traditional locations so people will have the address to go be able to find them. You can also find updated polling uh, location data uh, at the Chicago Board of Election website. As, as well as the Cook County Clerk's website as well. So those are things to be aware of if you plan on voting on Tuesday. But again, uh, early voting continues tomorrow, and uh, that's what most people are advising is take advantage of that tomorrow. Um, so let's let's take a look at some of the races here. And I, I figure we'll, we'll, get, we'll get one, uh, and I kind of mentioned this before uh, earlier about uh, a U.S. Senate race that I'm not sure anybody really knows about. Um, Dick Durbin seeking re-election, uh, unchallenged. And we have this group of five Republicans who are uh, seeking the GOP nomination. Uh, former Lake County Sheriff Mark Curran, uh, Peggy Hubbard, a military veteran, African-American woman from Belleville near St. Louis, um, Casey Klebeck, uh, um, and uh, let's see, we've got Tom Tarter, who is a uh, cancer specialist, a doctor in the Springfield area, and back, uh, traditional name, Dr. Robert Marshall from Burr Ridge. Dr. Marshall, parental candidate, best known for the fact of running for the Democratic governor nomination. Now he's running for Republican U.S. Senate. Wants to split the state in three. So that's, that's. I mean, what do Republicans do in this? Well, frankly, I think you've just given more coverage to the Republican primary than anyone else in, in the media right now. Uh, it's it's a challenge to to be a Republican in a, in a in a in a blue state like this, but it's also a challenge for the Republican Party as a whole. I think to find the the overwhelmingly strong candidate that you would need to take on a guy like Dick Durbin. Uh, Durbin Durbin's leadership and strength is so unquestioned in Washington D.C. and his ability to deliver here in Illinois has been uh, has been strong in such a family name that you really need a formidable and well-funded Republican candidate to take on that name. And frankly, those names don't bump bump up to that level. Well, and I kind of when I wrote about this race in the in the Tribune, I kind of said that this race, in many aspects, I think symbolizes the, the Republican Party at large of Illinois today. That gone is Bruce Rauner and his millions of dollars when he helped subsidize the party, uh, and that you know the party in some respects is kind of cast adrift here. 
I don't know, Bob, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I mean, that kind of hits it on the head if you take it out of the realm of the Senate race for a second. You know, Rauner essentially, you know, he was in the business of uh, of uh, private equity and taking over companies, and he also kind of took over the Republican Party with his money. And uh, that's gone. He's uh, he lost uh, a couple of years ago, and he's he's no don't know many, don't know where he is. Um, but uh, the big donors to the Republican Party, the uh, Dick Ulines and the uh, and the Ken Griffins, seem to be fairly absent too. So they're financially sort of adrift, and um, you know that's that certainly is making these races a lot harder for them. And it's going to play out even more so when you get down to the legislative, uh, the state legislative uh, level. Yeah, I think the main Republican donors that are out there are are playing at the national level. Uh, and, and, and prospecting a lot more out of the state than they are in Illinois. I agree with Bob. Well, uh, before uh, you gentlemen joined the show, I had uh, Marie Newman, a uh, Democratic candidate in the 3rd Congressional District, uh, a challenger to uh, eight-term Congressman Dan Lipinski. Uh, she making her second bid, consecutive bid for the office after uh, losing narrowly two years ago. But the race is different this time around with Rush Darwish uh, from Palos Hills uh, running. And uh, there's a fourth candidate, Charles Hughes. Um, you know, this it's its like the race that never ended from, from two years ago. I mean, we all kind of knew this was going to, you know, uh, once again uh, come to a head in, in 2020 after the results of 2018. I live in the district, and um, Congressman Lipinski, I think, has got a a much stronger grip on this race than definitely he did uh, two years ago. Uh, Marie Newman kind of came out of nowhere for him uh, that time around. This time, I think the Lipinski campaign has been been much stronger on the grassroots level. Um, I think he's broadened out his message, and, and despite her her challenges with uh, his voting record in, in, in a few areas. Um, he's delivered on the transportation issues. And when you have someone uh, that has across the board organized labor support, especially amongst the building trades like Lipinski does, and a good ground team, I think Lipinski is going to pull it out. But it's still indicative that um, – there are challenges to uh, Lipinski's orthodoxy, which are going to are, are going to persist. But he's been an independent uh, thinking congressman his entire career, and I don't see that changing. I think he'll he'll come through that district, um, regardless of uh, what turnout looks like in this one. I, I, yeah, this is sort of emblematic of uh, the the an argument in the Democratic Party in general is is are we a big tent or do we are, are do we want to have a litmus test for our Congress people? And, uh, you know, we'll see how this plays out, um, not just in this district, but in a lot of other districts around the, the country. But uh, but uh, those, um, uh, those suburban districts where Democrats have, uh, moderate Democrats have won, are kind of facing the same argument uh or will be in the general election and uh, right now this is this is essentially the general election for this particular district so darwish has run a pretty good campaign though i i, I while uh 
while Newman, you were expected to be inundated with Newman and Lipinski stuff, I'd add that Darwish has run a, uh, a decent campaign all, all in all. I mean, I, I don't think his name disappears out of, out of, out of mm-hmm. the specter, maybe for a lower seat sometime down around. But uh, uh, the, the, the pushback, um, I think the upsurge of Biden helps Lipinski as well. Um, the question always comes when you're looking at a more progressive candidate like Bernie and arguably uh, like Marie Newman, is how are you going to pay for all the stuff that you're talking about? And are you going to actually be able to convince a majority of your colleagues to support what you want to get that legislation through um, versus a, a kind of a, a more company line person like Lipinski has been in Frankly, Lipinski's delivered a tollway, amongst other things, out in the Southland, and his name recognition and strengths are going to, I think, are going to transcend all that. Well, I know that a lot of the congressman's uh, criticism of Marie Newman is that she's too extreme, in his words, too extreme for that district. And that's, you know, kind of why I was going, you know, what what is politically extreme anymore? Is it to be socially conservative in that district well in this in this district i i i'm kind of surprised that there was this idea that there's no uh uh the answer that there's there's no real uh philosophy or par- mm-hmm. yeah ideology here this is i mean working class is a, is a is a nice way to answer it but this has been a meat and potatoes district it's still multi-ethnic it's uh, it, it, it's generally a very moderate, a moderate area where you've seen progressives, progressivism grow at the ward level. You really haven't seen it happen in the third congressional. Remember, this is the district that, that has given you, you know, some of the, the longest serving political leaders that the state has, whether you like them or not. But they, they keep getting reelected, whether it's the speaker or Alderman Burke or others, they get elected because they're they're fairly conservative and they 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 do deliver for their own district so i i i'm i would argue that the conservatism of this district will will will, will will shine in this one. The progressive ideology and the fact that the property taxes are so extraordinary, especially in the suburbs, are going to be a challenge for people to come up to accept a candidate who wants things that no one knows how they're going to pay for it, which I think is where why Biden's going to do so well in the third congressional as well. I, it was curious, uh, and uh, you mentioned about a Biden factor that helps Lipinski, and Lipinski put out an announcement that he voted for Biden early. But also, in light of the coronavirus, and we had the House pass package where uh, Lipinski did not vote. He was one of 26 uh, members of Congress who did not vote on that. And his response was that, uh, his office response was, well, they had the votes, and he was told he, his vote wasn't needed to go back to Washington. Um, I saw this with John Shimkus on impeachment. We're talking about some very historic votes here, and I don't know if, if people view that as problematic when members of Congress don't vote on those. Well, it might be so late that there's not going to be a lot of knowledge in the district of uh, what he did or didn't do. So, you know, it's I'm sure she she's going to beat the drum in the next day or so to make sure everybody does know that. Um, we're um, going to sorry, guys, we're going to yeah. we're going to have to take a quick break. You're listening to the Sunday Spin on WGN. Now back to our election pre-election roundtable with uh, Bob Sector and Brian Bernadoni. Um Let's guys, let's go right to the state's attorney's race in Cook County. Uh, 
first-term state's attorney Kim Fox uh, facing three challengers, Bill Conway, uh, who's the one you've seen all the advertising from, uh, Donna Moore, who's run previously, and Bob Fioretti. Um, a lot of the uh, progressives, I would say, uh, uh, have been uh, supportive of Kim Fox, but uh, she can't shake uh, Jesse Smollett. Yeah, that's a, well, the Jesse Smollett case is, a, it's one of those things where if you're an opponent of Kim Fox, you know, you've got to, when you think about it logically, this that has very little to do with what her office does. It's a, it's, it would theoretically be a minor issue, but you got to, you got to pick what you're, you know, where her weaknesses are. And this is clearly uh, a weakness for her. Um, and, and so, uh, it'll be interesting to see whether that weighs in the minds of, of voters when they go in the polls, um, or if they go into the polls at all. But, but, uh, um, you know, you've got, you've got, this is another case where you've got a extremely well-funded candidate challenger who's trying to bump off an incumbent who has, uh, progressive credentials and uh we're going to see how that works out you've got 30 based on on wgn's poll with emerson college earlier today you've got 34 percent of the voters that are undecided two days before an election that's a huge number um all things said, Bill Conway has spent a, a tremendous amount of money. He's got 20% uh, in that poll and 36 for Fox. Fox, Fox wins this thing, but I'll say it, it's going to be a real report card on who's made her endorsements. I mean, Tony Preckwinkle has put everything she has into this Kim Fox race. Um, I think Kim Fox wins if she doesn't have Jesse Smollett. And that issue, for the most part, I think she she glides to this thing. But uh, the amount of damage that she's going to have to come back from to uh, rework her uh, her reputation is, is is still a big challenge, and it's it's an unfortunate thing uh, to to be attacked this way. But you kind of leave yourself open to it. Uh, Donna Moore and Bob Fioretti, I think, are playing uh, as aggressive game as they can, but. Uh, there's nothing they can do to be anything other than spoilers in this thing. But endorsements matter in this one. And if the vote, come, if, if Preckwinkle and the Democratic organization are able to get out the vote, the, the Kim Fox vote is going to be the one vote that we're all going to be looking at to see is, uh, is a tattletale for how well the organizations are doing. Either they come out heavy for Fox. We know that the organization isn't slow, fat, and lazy. If they do uh, come out for Conway, there's, you got to look at other numbers down ballot to give it uh, idea of how strong those uh, organizations that are left are pulling out the vote. Well, I've kind of seen the Jesse Smollett issue as one that cuts against the grain of her efforts to promote, you know, uh, criminal social justice reform. Well, her reaction is the big one. I, I think the the most compelling one was uh, Conway catching her. Um, audibly say that she didn't think much of the Smollett case uh, in a podcast or a radio program. And uh, I think it, there's a cavalier attitude. Uh, to, to, to Bob's point, I think suburban moms and suburban wives are going to have a lot to say about this race. It, that's where I'm watching those numbers. Do you agree, Bob? 
Uh, yeah, I, I also think, though, that, uh, um, you know, obviously uh, this is one where the black vote is very important. And uh, in Cook County, um, that's uh, there's there's enough minority votes to carry the day. And we also have to remember that, again, this is another one of those races that where this is essentially the general election. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, if she prevails, which she likely will, um, she'll be around for another four years, and, and uh, the Jussie Smollett thing will probably fade from memory. We also have uh, a uh, Cook County Clerk of the Circuit Court race, which uh, Dorothy Brown no longer. Uh, Richard Boykin, uh, Michael Cabanargi. Uh, Iris Martinez, Jacob Meister are your uh, Democratic candidates there. Uh, Carbonar- Carbonargi's, yeah, he's Carbonargi's the endorsed guy. Right. He's following with his ads, he's following this strategy that Rod Blagojevich did years ago to sort of make fun of his name. Raja Krishnamurthy. Ca- Raja, Krish- huh? Raja Krishnamurthy. That's true. Another one. Yes. Um, the, uh, the the challenge here is this is a this is an office that has been mismanaged forever, um, and there's been a lot of corruption investigations going on in the background as well. And um, uh, so, how do you take an office that is? I don't even know if it's in the 20th century. It's almost <laughs> in the 19th century, um, and and bring it up to modern standards, uh, and uh, so that so that it'll work efficiently, and the records are not on carbon paper, and and uh, Wait, you don't use carbon paper in your office. I mean, who does it? <laughs> White out. Yeah, right. Uh, Look, I think Mike Cubinargy, uh in in, in, in uh, the reason why I mentioned he's endorsed is uh, this is one of those rare circumstances where you see the Democratic organization endorse a former U.S. prosecutor. I mean, I think Mike has gone light on his on his real credentials as a former prosecutor. I think you know that he's run off the the fact that he he's he's led and done a, done a largely very good job at the Board of Review. But um, what I think is is uh, is going to be interesting is how the votes are linked for a guy like Richard Boykin, a former Cook County commissioner, who um, frankly um, is is formidable. And it, Dorothy Brown, despite despite you know the, the problems that have happened in the office, have a very strong following from uh, the evangelical churches. Uh, the black churches were always very, very strong for Dorothy Brown. And it'll be interesting to see where those voters go and if they just go lockstep from um, from Dorothy Brown to Boykin. Uh, Carbonargi uh, is, was a former aide at Durban, worked, has worked very, very hard throughout his career, and um, it worked very hard to get that endorsement. But it's very hard in this county with an Italian last name, and I know that firsthand, um, to get elected <laughs> to office in this county. And, and Mike's up against it because of that. Well, and as you mentioned about the the power of, uh, you know, Dorothy Brown basically four years ago was the county-endorsed candidate and had that endorsement taken away over concerns about federal investigations. And yet she still won. Right. So uh, Boykin is interesting because he uh, his, his claim to fame on the county board 
was he was uh, very vocal against the soda pop tax of Tony Preckwinkle. So um, I, I wonder if that's going to help him or hurt him. Uh, he certainly had, didn't make any friends with uh, Tony Preckwinkle. So, um, um, and he, he lost the last time around for re-election on the county board. So uh, um, it's, it's another one of these big question marks out there. You know, it would have been interesting if Mike Bloomberg were still in the race. Then we could really have a, a soda soda pop tax referendum <laughs> between uh, with 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 Boykin and Bloomberg. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I I think people have forgotten about the, the the soda pop tax because I said if Bloomberg was still in the race, the one thing I would have run an ad would would have been reminding everybody that Bloomberg basically you know funded. Uh, the the public relations effort in support of that soda soda pop tax, uh, but that's for another day. Yes, it is. We're speaking with Bob Sector, editor at Cranes Forum, and Brian Bernadoni, who is the managing partner and founder of Aurelius Public Affairs. I'm Rick Pearson. This is the Sunday Spin. Now back to the Tribune's Rick Pearson. It's the Sunday Spin on 720 WGN. Welcome back to your Sunday Spin on this pre-election edition with Bob Sector, editor at Cranes Forum, and Brian Bernadoni, managing partner and founder of Aurelius Public Affairs. Uh, we have a, a national poll that's out uh for the presidency on the presidential Democratic nomination with the Wall Street Journal NBC News poll showing Joe Biden now at 61% support of Democratic voters, while just 32% back Sanders. And yes, in case you're curious, Tulsi Gabbard, the Hawaii (laughs) congresswoman, she gets to 4%. Uh, So here we are. We've got the kind of Closing debate tonight before uh, Illinois, Arizona, Ohio, and Florida voters vote on Tuesday. Um, Obviously, you know, in a presidential campaign where rallies are the big thing, uh, I I can't think of a campaign that's been hurt more when it comes to uh, coronavirus concerns than these uh, campaigns for president of the United States. I think all campaigns have, sure. um, you know, uh, and it really just just look at what's happened in the last two days. I mean, we had a chaos at O'Hare. We had uh, the governor uh, ordering uh, uh, restaurants and bars to close. Uh, we had the Federal Reserve uh, cut interest rates to to Virtually nothing. Zero. Virtually zero. When we get off the air, there's going to be a de- uh, televised debate from a studio where the two candidates are going to be at least six feet apart. Um, and um, it's a little hard to, you know, all these things are vying for our attention, and it's a little hard to concentrate on, you know, the ins and outs of the campaigns. Oh, there was one other thing that happened. Apparently, stock futures are about to crash. So. <laughs> So um, something else to put on your radar, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. But well, but uh, you know, going into this, and and obviously we have the added influence of coronavirus issues. But going into this, I, I kind of look back at uh, four years ago in the Democratic presidential primary in Illinois, where you had very clearly the Democratic establishment was fully behind Hillary Clinton. 
and you know she barely eked out a, a two percentage point uh, win over Bernie Sanders. Uh, basically, she won two more delegates than he did. It was a virtual draw, and I'm not sure anybody really had seen that in their polling or, or anything coming up uh, to Election Day. And part of me, when you started seeing the, again, Democratic establishment kind of coalescing to Joe Biden, uh, the question was, so what is that Bernie Sanders turnout going to look like? I, I think Sanders is going to be, uh, I think Spangoli would get more votes than Sanders. No, I'm kidding. And happy birthday, happy birthday, Spangoli. Happy birthday to my dear friend, Rich Coase. But in, in, in all reality, the, the Biden, the, the party establishment really, I think, acted quickly and with resolve uh, because they saw where things were going and made a, a they did what a party is supposed to. They made a decision that was not going to impact down, that was going to have a favorable impact on down ballot races. Uh, you know, the, the the rhetoric that was going around a lot of the party regulars was that Biden couldn't get a, any significant legislation done. And if he couldn't convince the Senate as, uh, as a senator, how is he going to convince the Senate when he's in the Oval Office? So I think Biden's going to have a very, very good day on Tuesday, regardless of voter turnout. I agree with Bob. I, you talk about voter voter confusion, voter apathy, voter anger. There are so many more distractions out there right now that people are concerned about, including, uh, you know, just to talk about sports briefly. I mean, the fact that we're watching ping pong on ESPN has got to alarm everybody. And and the reality is you're, you're looking at issues that are, are fundamentally attacking the framework of who we are as Americans and, and the idea of having uh, stability in the Democratic Party, frankly, as a, as a Democratic regular, I, I welcome it. And I've unabashedly endorsed Biden in this kind of thing. This is uh, Biden's going to end the, the primaries tomorrow uh, on Tuesday. Bob? Well, I don't endorse anybody. No, I understand um, that. <laughs> but but it, it, it would appear to be that it's his for the taking, not just in Illinois, but in the other three states that have primaries as well. But again, the X factor is, I mean, we, we just, uh, one of the one of the many things I didn't mention uh, earlier was that Anthony Fauci just said he thought that people 65 and older should hunker down and not go out. So are they going to listen to that? Are they going to actually go to the polls on Election Day? And that would be seem to be the the uh, Biden voters. So does that change the dynamic? I don't know. Well, and you mentioned earlier about the the prospect of does this mean there'll be uh, more younger voters, maybe in proportion. Uh, but I, I still have that curious uh, curiosity about younger voters turning out. We have not seen that in the <laughs> earlier. Yes. We haven't seen that in the earlier primary states to turn out. Oh, Rick, let's let's raise something, though. You've got most of the college kids. Most of the college kids aren't going to be voting out of their home districts, out of their college districts. I mean, some of these people registered to vote at Evanston or Bloomington Normal or Peoria. So... I mean, there's some really interesting problems here. Oh, uh, no, 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 I, I, I agree. Uh, but I'm also, I will tell you, having gone to the Bernie Sanders rally uh, in Grant Park two weeks ago, uh, I, where I saw 
plenty of young people, I was quite surprised that there was nobody registering them or checking to see if they were registered to vote or offering to register them to vote. Because just knowing how these things go, uh, a lot of people were just, uh, a lot of younger people were there just for the social entertainment and the, uh, you know, to take selfies. And I, 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 <laughs> Hey, you know what else is going to be uh, different on, on Tuesday is that we're not going to have any victory parties. Right. Uh, um, uh, or, or we shouldn't have any. Well, the restaurants parties. are going to be closed. <laughs> yeah, right. And and so, the, you know, that, that's another tradition that's gone by the wayside. No, I, and uh, I mean, it was kind of like, you know, as, as we put together our staffing of, you know, what races to cover and all that, it's like, you know, which who are you going to send over to so-and-so's victory party? Who are you going to, you know, we don't have that staffing problem these days. So I guess that's <laughs> that's that's one good sign the way that, that, that <laughs> for, for, for journalism today is we don't need as many as, uh, bodies on the street to cover things. But Oh, don't, don't say that louder. All the capital will be very happy. <laughs> Thank you very much for injecting that in. But but uh, I mean, where where we're going to need them, and I think that goes back to what you guys were saying, is is for uh, the polling place chaos and and people just not being able to find their polling places. One thing I would I would I would remind people, and for those who watch elections as closely as as we do. Um, primaries are still important. They're report card days. Um, you're going to see how the next race is set, set up really quickly based on this voter number. Now, you're going to have to tweak these numbers because of what's gone on with the coronavirus. And, you know, you, you're going to need someone from UFC to figure out how you moderate the, the, the vote and, and, and show what, what voter turnout should have been versus what, where it is. But um, you've got some Democratic committeemen races down ballot. You've got uh, Metropolitan Water Reclamation District down ballot. You, you know, I urge those that are, if you're listening to this show, you're getting the best political information, vote all the way down your ticket. Um, so, so you're getting everybody in these races. But um, I think one of the races to watch of all things, is going to be um, the Supreme Court race. Um, you've got an endorsed candidate, and then you've got Jesse Reyes, who you see everywhere. I, I, I was at an event where there were three people, and Jesse was one of them. And I've been at events where there was lots of them. And, and there's there's some – but the Supreme Court race is going to be interesting. Does, does the Democratic Party get their endorsed candidates across, or do you have outliers winning some of these races? Um, those are numbers that um, – are going to be report cards for a lot of those ward committeemen and, and frankly for President Preckwinkle and her leadership of the Democratic Party across the board. That's going to be the, the big tell well, and, moving and, forward. And, and, you know, we've noticed, obviously, on uh, palm cards from committeemen that it's not the old rule that, you know, they're the endorsed Democratic slate of candidates. That doesn't mean that your name's going to be on, on a, a committeeman's palm card. It's shocking. It's like there's gambling in Casablanca. I mean, uh, uh, we forgot to we forgot to put the, we, we forgot to put Scott Neville's name on the on the palm card. What happened there? But it, you're, yeah, and, 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 and 
No, I was just going to say, as Brian said earlier, and who's going to actually take the palm card from uh, a worker? Exactly. Um, oh, if I'm out there right now, Bob, I, I'm, I'm having my guys, I'm, I'm getting rid of all the palm cards. I'm going to go out with sandwich boards. All I right. have guys with sandwich <laughs> boards out there. And I think on that note, that's a good note to say thank you to Brian Bernadoni, managing partner and founder of Aurelius Public Affairs, and Bob Sector, editor at Cranes Forum. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Thank you, and I want to thank my family for being so quiet upstairs. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back with more right after this.